Good evening, Darius. Good evening. I missed you last week. Yes, you did. <laughs> uh, this is uh, formally the seventh episode of the podcast. Uh, it, I think it's pretty crazy when I think back that we only started this a little over a month ago. Yeah. We're almost hitting the, the 200 download and viewership. Let's just, go. Just from close to a month and a half. So I think there's something cool here. We're doing something right. We're getting a lot of traction. Uh, shout out to Julian for joining. Yeah, sh- people are listening. Shout out to Julian for joining last week and also sharing. Um, I'm going to get a, we're going to redo that. We're going to do all three. And I think we can get some pretty interesting uh, opinions on there. Yes, sir. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, I want to start off today, really. Um, I want to talk about one of the brands I, I really champion and I really love seeing what they do. And that brand is none other than M.A. Leon Dor. We spoke about them before on the podcast, uh, Darius, if you remember, those basketball yes, I shoes. Did. I do. Uh, has your opinion changed on those guys? Like, I see them a lot on my feed based on the algorithm. Do you see them a lot? I don't see it a lot on my feed. I have, besides you, one other person who's into ALD on my feeds, and they don't post that much about it. And I guess Instagram algorithm doesn't want me to see it. So what can you, <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, what can you do? You might be flooded with other things that we're going to talk about. Um, But ALD just did their drop two for spring, no, not spring, summer, oh my gosh, Uh, fall, winter 20. Really cool stuff. There's some like patchwork overcoats, like that that whole look with like the hoodie and the overcoats. I really think of New York, number one. Number two, I think of ALD really championing that style. And I love that they're doing the patchwork. Unfortunate thing is a lot of those are actually through their um, physical store so you can't order them online which Ooh. is great where well i want to get your take on it uh, so let me share mine number one i think it's good in a sense that they can start to drive traffic to the store i know with covid and everything people might not want to but i think brick and mortar that's where they're trying to differentiate like hey this is in-store product online you can get everything else what's your take on that doing in-store only for like the blazers and the uh, overcoats I think they're doing in-store only. Um, One, like you said, to drive traffic to the brand and to really drive the brand experience when you come into the store. And secondly, I think they also want to get someone who is, say, purchasing the patchwork patchwork, blazers and overcoats to touch and feel it. Um, Because it's a patchwork, I'm not sure how they do their fabrics for their patchwork, if it's actually like a patchwork or if it's just like a a pre-made fabric. But if it's an actual Mm -hmm. patchwork, you know, you're going to have irregularities and it's a lot easier to see that in real life in hand than it is over online. That's a good point. I I, I don't I don't know if it's like upcycled, you know, wool or upcycled something. It'd be pretty interesting. But how come you went like, oh, like, is it because you feel like not that limits the accessibility or or what is it? Yeah, I think it limits the accessibility. And I don't think ALD as a brand um maybe i'm wrong but i don't think they're trying to position themselves to be so inaccessible and exclusive i don't think that's Mm -hmm. their thing um that's not an ald thing that i would imagine them doing you have a good point there i i i don't think that's your intent either everything about them is very accessible like i mean i'm gonna say accessible with air quotes because everything is so freaking expensive from there that i can't even afford 
much uh but yeah it, it's accessible to to some degree for sure uh, i, I like that. the drop yes yeah i think it's accessible continue, continue, continue. in the way there where it's not actively being um underproduced hmm. okay yeah and and they so with this season what's funny and i noticed this is there's always a big thing, especially when they first started, they used to create like um, coats or they used to create like dress shirts um, in the U.S. A lot of the, the sweatshirts as well, like the polar fleece, the, the French terry, that was done in Canada. I'm starting to see more corduroy. I'm starting to see a lot more of these other spe- specialty fabrics. And they're actually, a lot of it is, is made in China and made in India. Oh. What, and. That is interesting to me. Um, I understand maybe they're at a point where the brand needs to look at other manufacturers and they might be to a point where they have so many people on the team, they have to start being smart about where they purchase. You know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but like with that mentality. So I'm just seeing more made in China. I'm seeing even though they say imported, they don't say made in China. Uh, I'm seeing, you know, an exclusive you know, line saying made in Portugal, made in India. So it is interesting to see the brand once was very um, loyal to domestic production, now having to go offshore. Mm-hmm. And for those listening, I, I don't want you guys to, to get some sort of notion or, or some sort of feeling that I have something against offshore. I don't. At the end of the day, it's still people making clothes. It's still people sewing it together. I cannot devalue that when it comes to the fabric, when it comes to whatever, that's a different thing. But at the end of the day, these are still people making clothes. It could be someone's mother. It could be someone's aunt. So I can't discredit that. Yes, pricing per garment when they purchase it could be lower or it could be more. Being someone in the industry, I know there's a lot of technology in China. So I can never really knock made in China. If anything, if I see made in like you know, Vietnam, made in like other parts that are third world Asia, then I can be like, uh, but China's got a lot of good technology. They're very efficient and the quality is not terrible. Maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, they get that rep, but made in China now is actually pretty good. What, yeah. are, your, what are your thoughts on that? I totally agree. Um, going even further back, um, the stigma of made in China was attributed to made in Japan. And look where made in Japan knits like the what that means to people you know that's like the pinnacle of quality and why because they've been making knits for like decades and china has been making clothes now for decades (laughs) definitely definitely so that's something i wanted to get out there did you have a chance to look at the rest of the collection i didn't really get to look at the ald collection but i know you're a fan and yeah if you like it must be somewhat good (laughs) And, and look, I, what I love is just the styling. I really go to a lot of like ALD to look for styling. I like the way everything fits. I like the way they put everything together. That's why recently I posted on the Instagram was if people want to see alternative suggestions, because I know a ton of other brands that are, you know, value driven and has a lot of quality that uh, you don't have to end up paying like $400, $500 for like a, a twill vest. So yeah. that's something. Uh, yeah, I like ALD for the styling. Uh, another brand within that caliber, I'm going to move it along now, um, is Jound. Have you heard of Jound? Do you I know Jound? Do you like him? Um, I have heard of Jound. I've not gone into it, 
I saw someone <laughs> carrying an APC Jound tote bag yes. earlier. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's cool. It just has Jound on it, but you know, it's still cool. It's it's like uh, a very similar look, so I understand why you like it. Yeah, it's like the the normcore. The funny thing is, like, I don't know about you. The first time I I saw the brand, or like the first time I saw it on Instagram, I did not know how to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, did you go jound? Yeah, I did. I I said it with a stutter. Like I literally thought that was his. Or do I go jound? Yeah, I was like, don't say j-j-j-j-j, they do like and then, yeah, finally, I guess the, the internet kind of saved me there. It's like, oh, it's just, just jound. Imagine walking up to someone like, hey, do you guys uh, carry j j j j j j j j jound It's like, I, I swear I don't I don't have a speech impediment, nothing against those people. I just thought that, you know, that'd be funny. Um, but for those listening, Jound is a Montreal-based design studio. I think that's how they they shape themselves as... Uh, creative director goes by the name of Justin. Apologies, I don't know his last name. Um, and they do a lot of stuff. Like they make mugs, they make rulers, they make what else do they do? Like tote bags, shirts, apparently. Button, yeah, tote bags, yeah, shirts. They do kind of everything, and it's just about building, I guess, core basics. My first gripe, I don't know if you can relate, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Is there's been a lot of these minimal brands, right? They're just like white or like off-white colored oh, stuff yes. and the, and they right and a lot of the times as a product guy i'm just like this is nothing special but what makes it is their instagram and their mood board what are your thoughts on these minimal brands and why do why do some of them fail so easily because it is all a kinfolkism kinfolkism <laughs> you know exactly what i'm talking about <laughs> I, I do but i want you to tell everyone else about it if it's just like an Instagram aesthetic where it's like slow fashion, less is more, buy better, buy less. And it's all oh, like buzz, buzzwords, buzzwords, um, bouquet of dried flowers on a coffee table, <laughs> white marble, the kinfolk book, oh. right? White marble. Oh, gee. Um, brass, clean lines modern aesthetic and what i think what i think is like it looks great but it's very instagrammable and very kinfolk because of the magazine that sort of um, spearheaded this look and a lot of people and brands have gravitated to that because it essentially it sells well and gets clicks because it's very very like universally pleasing and you get a lot of brands that maybe unconsciously or maybe not um like they're not actively attempting to, but recreate this uh, buy less, buy better aesthetic sort of thing um, where they make clothes and then have housewares to go with your clothes so you can decorate your home with um, instead of having like a Joe Malone candles. Now you have something else. Yeah. Why do you think some are good, like some succeed and why do you think some fail? Marketing. And uh, I think... Some pe- some of them get to capture a uh, an audience where just by virtue of being in a competitive environment, some people fail. I don't think anyone does anything like specifically better um, where they have like a very significant advantage over other brands or other um, corporations doing the same thing of having this sort of kinfolk-esque look. 
and having mm-hmm. very curated offerings for their clients. I think it's a lot of it's very similar. How does Jown stand out and why has he been successful in your opinion? It doesn't matter. I mean, you, you've seen the brand. I don't expect you to be deep dive. I'm not like a deep Jown fan either. But what, what do you think has allowed him to kind of be so successful within that space? Because a lot of people are trying it and I feel like they fail because it's not genuine. It's just like, oh, I like that aesthetic. So I'm going to do some really clean kind of thing or like, you know, you know, and then they try to do it and it doesn't work. So why do you think, think John's, John has, has done it? Yeah, I think they were able to capture people with the New Balance collaboration. That's where a lot of people heard of John. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. I think they got the New Balance collaboration and then all the ALD heads who look at New Balance <laughs> saw New Balance and it's like, oh, wait, what is John? And then they got into John and it looks really good. Same with all, a lot of people who are into like APC and acne. Mm-hmm. Very similar demographic, right? So they all got into like this new brand where it becomes like a new thing for this aesthetic. And then once you get a large enough people to sort of migrate to this brand, you get uh, like a snowball effect where you get these early adopters and then you get like the people who buy afterwards. Yeah, I think I'm going to be guilty for this. But when I first found out about Jound, like he was not that huge. And that was, I think, the first piece that really captured me. Number one, his mood board was always amazing on on Tumblr and then on Instagram. But the first piece I'm like, oh, this could be something is he, he had a t- I think, T-shirt and a crew neck that said teach peace. And just the way that the typography was done in the artwork, I found it was really pleasing. I never pulled the trigger because I didn't find the quality based from the photos to be amazing. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to pass. I just like the aesthetic of it. Um, and then later on, I feel like I'm in the early adopter range, whereas now he's kind of blown up. I feel a little gatekeepery. I feel a little hipstery where I'm just like, well, you didn't, you didn't like this guy before new balance, like, like all of that stuff. Um, but you I liked it to before it was cool. I have, I'm pretty guilty of doing that. Um, but yeah, um, you're, you're right. Um, it, I don't know if it came from the New Balance for myself, but I just think enough people got into like the whole normcore vibe and aesthetic. And then from there, I think they gravitated to Jound. And then from there, Jound, I think, has done Reebok. Jound yeah. has done New Balance. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm missing a ton of other collaborations, but he's done a lot. He's been very active. Um, it wasn't overnight. Um, and then he's finally at a point where he's very successful. So what I'm trying to allude to is actually he has a new shoe coming out this Monday, uh, launching on the Reebok website at, I think, 10 a.m. Um, and that's going to be the Reebok Jound. Oh, well, by the time this podcast goes up, this has already kind of released. But it's the Reebok Jound um, nylon shoe. Um, and it's a very classic silhouette in terms of like an old style runner or even a tennis shoe, some could say. Leisure shoe based off of late 70s, early 80s, uh, neutral color. It's in white and like this kind of, I don't know what to call it, like a light taupe, you can say. Uh, the suede doesn't look that great, um, but that's okay. Made out of nylon. Uh, to me, will I, would I put a trigger? I don't know, because I might just 
rather buy the uh, Reebok Clipsies, or I might just buy like the Adidas Continental 85s, 80s, 85s, I forgot. Um, so I don't know. This shoe's coming out. It's going to be hype. Have you seen it? Do you like it? Or you're just I haven't, like, it's I not haven't me. seen it. No, I, I haven't yeah. seen it. It's not really a thing for me, like Jound, ALD. It's not my, uh, what I've been looking at for buying clothes. I think the shoe, mm-hmm. the Reebok, it's going to be a shoe that is just a shoe with a name on it. Um, I think it's going to sell out, obviously, but I don't think it's going to be like so super, super memorable. You know, I still remember the New Balance Jound because I just do, but the Reebok, not so much. Like, I wouldn't think I'm going to remember it. Yeah, I mean, he did another collaboration with Reebok before. And I remember at that time, everyone's like, why did why do people like this brand? The guys coming out with gray crewnecks, gray sweatpants, gray shoes or like white shoes. What's all the hype? I Like that was a point where like jammed, like people were confused. And, and you're right. I don't when I look at the shoe, it just it looks like a Reebok shoe that has jammed on it. And it makes me think of all like the. The Fufu AF1, uh, not AF1, sorry, Air Jordan 1 uh, sneakers that come out where it's just like, it looks like a Jordan 1, but it says someone else's name. It uh, almost did gives it, me that did it, uh, Didn't Jound do a Reebok where instead of saying Reebok, it just said Jound? Yeah, I mean, it's a similar shoe. Yeah, there, like, this there we is go. Another similar shoe. So. so that's why I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Like a, a bit of me is just like, I get it, the culture, like there's like a culture of people that like are going crazy about this and like they love it. I'm for the shoe in terms of you like the minimal aesthetic. You don't want it to say Reebok. You want it to to say Jound. Um, but I'm not going to cop. No, I'm just going to pass. Very, very cult. Very culty for Jound. <laughs> very cult. You think uh, one day Jound will uh, will work as some sort of like consultant or designer for Reebok? I don't think so. I think Reebok as a brand doesn't want. Um, like external influencers, if you will, beyond oh. collaborating. Because that's different than uh, than uh, Kanye West. Exactly. So instead of having like Kanye West, they just want to have um, like capsule collections every now and then. Instead of like constant... to keep them fresh. Exactly. Instead of like a constant partnership. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, those were like the really two things I, I wanted to touch on. Uh, I know maybe based on the algorithms, people that listen to this podcast do also like, they're also going to see all that. Like ALD. <laughs> so I thought I'd, t- I'd touch on those guys. Um, anything for you in fashion that kind of stuck out? This, yes, sir. Um, Supreme oh, yeah. Jacob and co <laughs> Supreme oh, okay. Jacob and co. Wow. Can you please walk everyone through? The price, uh, I think there's two sizes. Yeah. And what the watch does. There's two sizes. I believe it was like a 46 and like a 49. Does it really matter for the sizes? Not really. There's two different ones. Um, there was steel and diamond set with Jacob Diamonds. Um, and it was a multi, and both of them were multiple time zone watches, very similar to the Jacob five time zone from the early 2000s. And it just says Supreme on it, and it has three time zones. Um, I think it went for sixteen and eighteen thousand US, which is not a small sum of money, but 
They also sold Did out. Did it sell out? It sold out in under eight <laughs> seconds. What the? F- where are you? Where are you guys getting this money? Under eight seconds for oh Jacob and Co. Gosh. Um, time zone supreme edition. Um, you can laugh that I'm poor. I don't care. Oh wait, I thought it was thirty nine and forty two. Am I the, just crazy? I think you're right. There, oh, it's big though. Um, oh, selling out. I get it. Do you? I do. I think it's worth it to like buy it out and then put it in a bank and put it in a safe and sell it out somewhere later. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I. This is the beginning of the whole fashion and watch thing. I think that's why you're saying I don't know if it's going to appreciate that much. The reason why I say that is because it's Jacob and Co. Um, because Jacob historically doesn't have great appreciation or like value retention. They are great. Well, I heard they're not reliable either. Yeah, they're they're great pieces. Like they look fantastic engineering wise. They're really cool and very very complex. And the fact that they work at all sometimes is uh incredible. But this one, I don't know the inner workings of how a a multiple time zone like five or three time zone Jacob watch works. Um, yeah. I can talk like astronomias are very very cool and those are like incredible engineering masterpieces, which are yeah. That's that's the first Jacob that kind of like came on my radar and I'm just like, this is not for me. I don't. I should not even be looking at this. Yeah, stuff. it's super cool, but it's also like very highly strung in in the same way like um like a Formula One car is super super highly strong but unreliable in that if anything goes wrong it's gonna break um yeah this one with the supreme one i think it will be pretty cool to see later on like five years down the road of someone puts it up on auction or it's like hey guys remember this i think that would be pretty cool <laughs> and like a christie's or like sotheby's yeah that's what i'm thinking <laughs> i think i'd do well yeah there maybe it's i think as a byproduct being in i think being between both of both you and myself we're, we're in fashion and like we we kind of understand watches that number one it was a huge like for me i was surprised when i first heard about it before like the the season started i'm like oh, what are we getting with like the supreme logo i think it's just like slanted it's, and it's slanted just like at like uh, at two o'clock yeah that i don't know okay here from the from the outside perspective, not taking in hype, not taking in anything, it does not look like a great watch. I think it's four time zones, uh, and like I saw some pushers on there, and then like New York, Tokyo, you know, New York, Tokyo, and something. And right? Paris, yeah. Oh, Paris. There you go. Um, it just doesn't look like a great watch. It it doesn't. But then once we're in the culture, then we're kind of like, okay, it's Supreme, it's Jacob. It could go for pretty much. What did it go for MSRP again? You said like 18? Six, 16 and 18. Oh. Wait, really? Well, it's stainless steel set with diamond. Let's say it's 16, 18 USD. That's not that bad, okay. but it also makes sense. Um, You know what I just thought of? Supreme currently, like these last seasons, I feel like have been very 2000s era. Elaborate. Like, the aesthetic of Supreme has been very 2000s era. Like, this season so far. In terms of edginess? In yeah, terms of what, yeah. What? In terms of edginess and look and sort of, like, um, their designs. So, if that is 
in fact what Supreme Art Direction is doing, then the Jacob & Co. Supreme watch is perfect because it is a 2000s era watch. Is it because for a while of time, Supreme started to get a little more mature, started to get a little more clean, started to be a little more like polished and away from the roots of being a, a skate store? Is that why you're saying that? Yeah, I think so. And then now it's just more unabashed. It's more like loud. and it's like, more. I'm holding up my middle finger, but it's more like F you, right? Yes, yes. And the Supreme and Jacob and Co. watch does actually on it say FM, like F them. Which is pretty cool. Oh. That's so cool, right? <laughs> so, it's I think like the anti culture. Yeah, coming I back. think it's cool that they did it. Would I cop? No, um, I just don't like the watch. But yeah, it's so cool. it's well, cool. I, I guess that's a, that's a good kind of statement for both of us. For you, Darius, if you had the money and it was accessible to you, would you buy the watch? Yeah, because it's supreme. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I had the money, yeah, of course, why not? Would you wear it? No. Absolutely so safe not. Queen. Yeah, that's the safe queen. I can see it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. If I bought it purely for investment, purely for saying like, hey, look what I've got. Like, like if you had a full like plethora of watches, people come by and they're just like, oh, by the way, I've got the... I've got the Supreme Jacob and Go kind of thing. Yeah, it, it, because when you're in like deep watch collecting and it's like, oh yeah, you have a uh, AP, Patek, Rolex, blah, 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 blah. Supreme. Like that'd be, that's sort of cool. Yeah, it's like the Kerpa. Like, whoa, you got that one? Yeah. Do we know how many pieces it was limited to? No idea. I don't assume they made a lot. No idea. What if it was like, what was it, like four pieces? Like two in each size. That's why they sold out so quick. I you know I wouldn't put it past them. Like honestly, they could have, but I think they probably did ten each. Mm. Any any idea on the movement? Is it like in house? Is it no like idea? ATA? I have no idea. I would believe it's in house because it's sort of a it's a weird case shape, so that's why I think it would be in house or at least an exclusive movement for them. Huh. Just because it's like I would, a, it's an odd shape, right? Yeah, I would love to get hands on. Um, I've seen people from Texas listen. I've seen people from UK listen around the United States. If you have one and you're listening to this, if we can borrow it, I will pay for the shipping. Darius and I would love to spend a week with it. We'll, we'll baby it. We'll cherish it. We'll make sure everything's good. We'll handle it with gloves. That'd just be amazing to. Yeah, to I just want to check it, it out. <laughs> I'd want to check out like a five you, times on like oh, anything. Yeah, or if you're in Toronto and you're willing to to like meet up, you know, and and just let us play with the watch for twenty minutes, Worth each it. person, I'll do it. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Um. Next yeah. controversial release. Kiss BMW. What? I think it's so silly. That's a hot take, man. That's that's so. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Um. Let me okay. Let your me, thought, let me your thoughts up. first. You go first. Okay, okay. Kith BMW. I'm gonna come out and say I'm not the biggest BMW fan. Uh, I'm more of a Mercedes Benz fan when it comes to I guess European cars. For the sheer fact, my dad has always been a Benz fan, so I kind of grew up wanting that old man aesthetic. 
nowadays and even from my teens and into young adulthood, I've always been a Subaru guy. I, I love that whole rally racing aesthetic. I love like the rally blue. I love JDMs. I love looking at GTRs. That's just who I am. So in terms of the BMW brand, I'm not really for it. However, one of the cars I would like to own one day is an M4. I will say that. Sheer facts. Well, before the whole face lift and everything. Sheer fact of um, the speed. Sheer fact of the, the interior and everything about it. I think it's a great value for what you're getting. So I do like the M4. Second comment is Kith. I am a fan of Kith. I understand that it's a meme that they will collaborate with every brand in the world by, you know, 20, you know, whatever, you know, one day they will. But as a brand, I do look at them as, as like a grown up and a more mature kith. I mean, not, not mature kith, more mature Supreme, where if you're in that area and you used to buy, like, let's say for the OG heads, you used to buy Supreme when you were in your teens, uh, into like, you know, young adulthood, and now you're in your mid-late 30s, going into 40s, even 50s. I like that. Kith is like the the next level up. Kith product, to me, is... I I can't say it's worth it, um, but it is very nice. Um, I have to be careful with my words, because I do know a few people from the team. Uh, So... It is nice. Um, the 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 Terry is nice. I th- I think they custom mill it. They've got a great team over there. Actually, I've been to the office before. Everyone's actually super engaged, and everyone kind of puts in their puts their heads together to make it all work and have the season come by. Um, it's a great brand. Great values. I love the story. Um, Ronnie's a very nice gentleman. The team's very very nice gentleman. Uh, and I'm about it. When it comes to, and sorry for kind of going on that tangent, when it comes to the collaboration, though, um, I thought it was really cool. If if I'm just going to be like dumbing down, I thought it was really cool to have, you know, him kind of gut out. And I forgot the the models like E what? E63? E30. 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 Fuck. Yeah. E30, right? Got it. Reupholster put all that stuff, have the kith detailing. It was a really cool creative job. And with that, they also did like a, a modern one as well. Yes, modern M did. series. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. You're kind of merging the old school with the new school. For BMW fans, um, BMW, they're reaching out to new fans that are in the streetwear market and they're starting to target the Gen Zs and millennials to care about it. Um, for kith, did they need to collaborate with BMW? I think it just adds to their brand value, puts them on a ladder. Um, but in terms of whole collaboration, I think my final thing is it was really cool. I loved seeing it come to play. There were a lot of key pieces in the clothes where I thought, hey, this is really nice. Like there was like a velour tracksuit. There was like a, I think a leather, you know, varsity jacket. I thought that was really cool. And even the model was was not of our age. He's super cool. Yeah, that's a cool looking guy. Yeah, but in terms of collaboration, yeah, I think my final word is it was cool. I'm probably gonna forget about it. It wasn't as memorable as the ALD Porsche, but it was cool, and I'm for it. Let me hear your thoughts. (laughs) 
Good thing you mentioned that Kith is the older, like the more mature Supreme. Because who remembers when, just last season, there was a Supreme BMW? I don't. There was a Supreme BMW Hot Wheels. But they did it, and it was also on an E30 M3. And people got their E30 M3s and put Supreme on it because there's a legitimate Hot Wheels BMW E30. So, yeah, I wonder where this idea came from. Um, the clothes oh. for the collection look good. Um, I think that is in the kit lane, and I think that is good as a collaboration like product. Like the okay. clothes are good. Clothes look great. You could have even retailed it in a BMW showroom if you wanted to, but I don't know if BMW would want you to do that. But clothes, fine. I get it. That's fine. Like, I understand mm-hmm. that. But they made a Kith new generation. The I think it's called the G generation or G series M4. Oh, G series, not M. Sorry, sorry. Okay, M4. Yeah, yeah. well, the G generation M4. Mm-hmm. For 109 thousand u.s dollars hundred you know someone that that follows the this you know platform put a down payment for it and i thought it was that was berserk for the kids um yeah for the he like screenshotted it he put on a story i'm like what the wow (laughs) well the reason why i say why like it is so much i think it's a little bit one overvalued for an m4 especially a current series current generation m4 I think that's a bit reaching $109,000, right? Is, I, is the current M4 in the 70s? Is that what uh, it is? US, I think it's 110 um, Canadian. No. Oh, 110 Canadian. Okay. 30% more. Yeah. I think it would have been really cool. You know, what they what my idea would have been if they did a kit collaboration and they wanted to make um, BMW car parts, you know, like accessories, because essentially what the kit collaboration on this M4 is, it's a bunch of aesthetic changes where you have co-branded logo and uh you have um like kith instead of the m um model name on the on the back Mm -hmm. if they sold that as a limited run accessory package similar to how they do how you can purchase like amp performance parts for your car i think that would have been really cool instead of making it just like this is the kith m4 right Make it make it be like you can get instead of an M performance splitter or M performance side skirt, Kith's guides side skirt, right? M performance badging, Kith badging. I think that's pretty cool. So, is your gripe with the the kind of their interpretation of the E thirty, or is your gripe with the fact that it's in a modern car? My gripe is that they made it and. A model in and of itself of the modern car. The E30 one, that is allegedly, I don't know if this is true, um, that's Ronnie's personal car. You can do whatever you want with yeah. your car, right? That That's fine, you know? Yeah, yeah if you you're, Yeah, if you're um, anybody and you own your brand and you want to make your car your brand, and, like, that's fine. That Like, that's your own calling. You know, that that's on your own prerogative. And mm-hmm. for to make... The BMW M4, the new one, as a separate product in and of itself, instead of just like accessories for the M4, 
is a bit much, I think, especially if you have such a big upcharge. So it's a bit much because of the, the, the value that they've put out there. Yeah. I think, you know, that's having, your my, yeah, that's my gripe. The gripe is like, you're, you're charging, you know, a substantial amount more, um, over a standard M4 for aesthetic changes that you can't really see, or they're not like, truth be told, if you're on the street and you see one drive by, you're that you're not going to know it's a kit one because it doesn't say anything besides the roof, but you're not going to see. And the badge. Yeah, like unless you're 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 in the culture, then you wouldn't know. Like any other person would just say yeah. That's, it would have to be parked, and you would have to walk by and see it to see that's the kit M4. Hmm. I also think it's as a business move, and like in terms of selling product and selling through product, selling accessories is a lot easier than selling an entire car. Having worked and i hope i don't get in trouble for this having worked and spoken to tarani i can see that it could have been it's like i will do this collaboration if we do it this way mm. if it's not this way we're not doing, not it. doing it so i think that's what i think that's actually a really cool idea to do the 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 upgrade and like have the details as like you can choose i actually like that idea um because i think it also is becomes more accessible but then the novelty aspect is taken away once you do that and i think that's why they're like hey it's got to be our car our thing like fully his own product line essentially like bespoke i want a bespoke you know m4 a kit m4 I understand that you like the, having it. Like it's a bit more prestigious. The, let me ask you this: There's no performance upgrades. None. Are there? None. Okay. So you're paying an extra. Can I say fifteen to twenty k? Can I say that? BMW M4 okay. USD price. Maybe yeah. It, it, let me let me just say this to everyone: is ten, fifteen k to twenty k for custom detailing and logo i don't know uh, maybe it's just i don't have the funds and that's why i'm like i don't know if i would do that uh but to to do that for that price i mean sure if you got if you got money then it's like whatever uh but for a kith fan that that's you know i, w- I shouldn't say struggling kith fan that is not as wealthy i i don't know if that's for you darius do you have do you have the uh have msrp the so 2021 bmw m4 coupe um this is from carbuzz.com base yeah. is seventy one thousand eight hundred, and i assume that's usd okay. i wasn't far off yeah we'll do you will do usd it's fine that's a big that's a really 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 substantial upcharge so that's like what you're sitting at about 27, 28k difference? Yeah. Or more? Just about. To put it in perspective, okay. um, the last generation M4, the one that you want, oh, you could, for, the, for a similar upcharge, you can get an M4 GTS, which is like a special edition, track focused, substantial performance upgrades, you know, limited yeah. production run M4. You know, there's a lot more engineering and value I find in something like that for that amount of upcharge. 
Yeah, for me, I think um, just me as a consumer is I want to know if I'm paying an extra 28 to 30 grand, there better be performance aside from aesthetic because aesthetic will will run down. It will get, you know, it you know, ha- will have patina chips and like you would do all that. Like it would just age. Um, whereas I guess, I guess performance, you can say that too. But performance, I feel like it's something I'm more willing to throw down on if I had the money. Exactly. It's like, all right, if I'm getting more of this, more torque, you know, anything. Exactly. Right. Then, okay, here's the money. Makes sense. Especially for BMW. You know, BMW, the ultimate driving machine for 30000 more. That no gets more me worried because think about it. If if you're already building this as Kith and you're saying, I, and I don't want to speak on behalf of you. If you want to come on the podcast, please come, come on the podcast. Um, if everything is just like what it looks like, then that's a really shitty way of looking at our society, Right. Because it's all about the aesthetics. It's all about how it looks. But what about how it performs? As when we're car, talking about cars, right? when we're talking about watches, it is like, yeah, aesthetics are good. But we're also, we can get nerdy and be like, you know, well, what are the specs? How much horsepower? What's what's torque on there? Right? Zero to 60 and how, how fast, right? Suspension, all that stuff. So I'm really scared that we're just moving into the culture of whatever looks good instead of like whatever performs well or yes. whatever's optimized yes. and yes. tuned yes. for performance. I, I really strongly believe it's also like a bad move for BMW because you're really, really going against what the ultimate driving machine is if you have like a $30,000 upcharge with no driving improvements. At least no reported driving improvements. I, I can see your side. I, I, I really do because <laughs> I think when you first reacted to it, I was a little taken back. I, I didn't want to be the gatekeeper. I was like, like wait, what, what you eat about Kit? Like, you know, but I, you have valid points. I think Yeah. And like the clothing is cool. And I think it's like the collaboration as an idea is cool. But I think that specific part, you know, the most, what I would say, the most significant part of a collaboration like this, you know, mm-hmm. the car. Eh, fell a bit flat on its face for me. Do, do you think we're going to see more of it? Wait, wait. Before you answer that, what did you think about the um, ALD Porsche? I think that's a lot better. I don't. Did they sell that? No. That, that was Teddy's car. Again, that was Teddy's car. He wanted to do the the, the you know the upholstering. Like he wanted to do the whole detailing. He just wanted to redesign it. No, that's fine. That's cool because like that is. Teddy from ALD, who has a Porsche, and he wants to make it the ALD Porsche, where it's not its not so much a, this is a consumer product. It becomes, this is a customization for ALD. Mm-hmm. Right? So even um, big brands like Berluti did a Porsche. So they had the entire interior done in Venezia leather, and could have you have bought it? Yes. Um... And they did it on a vintage, so they really wanted to harp on the idea of patination and, you know, aging, which makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, I get it. And then we even had saw a, um, we saw a Pagani and, and Bape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Pagani Bape, where they did. So that's how you pronounce the, the brand. Oh, geez. I've been, yeah. I've been butchering oh, it. <laughs> Pagani. Um, but they did a Pagani Bape and they did a clothing line. And they wrapped a Pagani Zonda in and the Bape duck camo, camo, which is yeah, which is cool. Um, 
they didn't make a Pagani edition um, or Bape edition Pagani because prohibitively expensive. Um, Here, here's my take. Because um, you talked about it too. Uh, you said something about like, you know, you can even sell it at a dealership, um, like the Kith clothing stuff. Yeah. My thing is, and and someone that's in branded merchandise as well is when you have stuff at the dealership that you know is a logo with like a jacket logo with whatever like a a piece of clothing wearables it sometimes feels like an afterthought whereas Mm -hmm. someone like you have your your team of doing product development and product you know innovation they do it they create the car and it's like hey shit we need clothes let's go to marketing and then marketing's like oh let me get all the logos from design gets in like all right gonna put it here gonna put it there it's amazing there's no thought to it whereas when you have a kith when you have an off-white when you have you know a bape when you have an ald is that's what they know so they're curating stuff yeah they're curating stuff and they're just like no we gotta do it this way this would look great as that so in terms of that is i feel like car brands or any you know any of those i guess i'll focus on car brands is if you start to leverage these collaborations to create real clothing pieces real things that actually you know are qual i don't know but are quality and like they mean something i think to your consumer the bmw enthusiast the the the, the m person or even like for for ben's you know any of the amg guys if you curate clothing and wearables with like an established brand that just makes them love you even more because now you're like huh it's not just like a gilded t-shirt well i shouldn't say gilded it's not just like a blank t-shirt with like a with a logo (laughs) on there sorry i i don't want to call anyone out if there are any behind the scenes stuff but yeah it's like hey like this wasn't this is like an ald shirt with an amg or like porsche this is a kith shirt with a bmw like i think that is so much cooler as an enthusiast for you to 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 buy rather than hey i went to the dealership and i got this storm tech jacket that just says bmw on the left chest yeah bmw auto group volkswagen auto group mercedes auto group yeah you can you have our instagram <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i w- would love to do it uh, um but yeah uh, that, okay so that's kind of our take on the on the kith bmw thing uh one thing i want to kind of bring back around and my head's just going for those listening i hope you don't darius and i don't practice this what we want no, to, none of this is scripted what we want to do is we want to we want to give you raw conversations that it's not overly uh, you know produced and is not rehearsed this is the real you know real deal here real deal exactly um so my point was we were talking about the Supreme Jacob and Co. And I asked you if the movement was in-house or if it was like an Edda or, or something like that. Off the shelf. Off the shelves. Yeah, thank you. What are your thoughts on that? Because as someone that understands the industry, that term 20 years ago means something different nowadays and let me start off by saying um seiko is a perfect example seiko is a vertically integrated watchmaker they grow and engineer their own rubies in the lab for their movements 
they make their own movements. They, you know, well, that, see, I can get somewhere there too. They make their own movements. They, you know, do the finishing in-house. They blah, 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 blah. They have hard legs. They make their own mineral crystal, right? Being vertically integrated, that is what I mean. And then you'll have something like, let's say, I don't know, uh, IWC. Where IWC, the movement is from another manufacturer. Could be ETA. I mean, nowadays, I know as well they're doing some tweaks and they're making it in-house. That's another point, right? Does that still count? So the, you're, they're taking these off-the-shelf movements and they're encasing it into their own watches. So that's, for those listening, that's the difference between like an in-house movement and an off-the-shelf yeah. Does that explain it? Or maybe you can explain it better. That, I think that explains it. You know, like Seiko making a Seiko movement for a Seiko watch would be in-house movement. Seiko buying a movement from someone else and doing their own processes to a certain extent to of and then make putting it in a watch and selling it as a Seiko, that would be an off-the-shelf movement. There are some instances where people, where brands will have off-the-shelf movements and modify them to such an extent that they're barely a you know off the shelf movement anymore i think that's borderline and fringe they might just be needing the uh the off the shelf for regulation and like an oscillator which is really expensive to make yourself Hmm. my opinion on off the shelf versus in-house as it pertains to being a consumer and purchaser i don't think it really matters as a purchaser and consumer, doesn't matter. Be more specific if you can. Are you into watches? Are do you have like a collection of ten? Do you have you been collecting for twenty five years, or you just think, in in general, that it doesn't matter? I th- in general, I don't think it matters a lot. Um, why I say this, I have you know my AP Chrono that I love and adore. That's not an in house movement. It's a FPG manufactured essentially by Blancpain, um, now exclusively for the AP, but it's not an in-house movement. Um, that's the 26331 ST, um, the 2017 launch chronograph. And it's not an in-house. It is, however, one of the best chronograph movements you can purchase, um, even though it's not in-house. And... It is heavily decorated and modified by AP. They don't make any attempt at hiding the fact that it is not an in-house movement. If you were to ask AP directors, like, hey, is this in-house? They'd say no. Um, When they launched, and this is from a Hodinki article, when they launched in 2017, nobody in that price range of $30,000 to $40,000 for a steel or a sports chronograph, I shouldn't say steel, sports chronograph in general, no one was making an in-house aside from Patek Philippe, who was charging $70,000 um, at the time. So that's one example of when an in-house doesn't really matter and because no one was doing it. If we go even further back, way, 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 way back. Like 60s, to, um, 50s? Or what? To like the 1800s. Okay, yeah. We're going real far back. <laughs> People... Yeah, real far. Um, Like the inception of Swiss watchmaking. There was watchmakers that... Weren't they buying movements from Britain? 
They were, and they were also in Switzerland, um, specifically the Jura region, where AP is. <laughs> um, um, but essentially, is they would have families that specialized in, say, making gears, and another family specialized in making yeah, yeah, yeah. springs and oscillators. Yeah. And they called it the établissage, which means just like the establishment and the... Um, and that's what they call it, the établissage, is taking movements and components from different families and putting it together as one thing. And this was not an uncommon practice. In fact, it was a way to ensure that the movement as a whole was of great quality because you have people specializing in each component. And put together, you get a really, really nice movement. That's like the basis of an off-the-shelf movement. Mm. So... Going back to olden days where they were, you know, truly handcrafting everything. Can you say it's a bad thing? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, even Patek Philippe, for a while, they they, they didn't get into the whole in-house game. Like... No. They're, you can understand, like, a lot of these brands, is, they relied because their expertise wasn't in movements. Their expertise for one brand could have been marketing. We are great marketers, so we're going to source our movements from this place, and then we're going to encase it and then stamp our, you know, our, our logo on there. So, or like some of them might, might have been the heritage, it might have been, you know, the dial finishing, would have been, they were like, you know, masters at crafting hands, or they're messing at finishing the movements, you know, what they might receive it and they might just do really nice, you know, knurling and all that stuff to, to make it look good or make it, give it a gold rotor. Um, you're right though. Uh, well, I, I, I'm not going to say you're not right, but I feel like there is a group that like, they're so, they're sticklers. They're like, oh, it has to be in house. And you know what I would ask? At what point? At what point has it, does it have to be in house? IWC is modifying Edda's. Braymon is ed modifying Edda's. Tudor is modifying Edda's. At what point? Does that count? Or you need someone to literally, like, make the steel. You need someone to, like, make the rubies. You need someone to, like, do all that. It's like, for the people right. that are like that, it's like, at what point does it stop? At what point is it not in-house and it becomes fully in-house? Could you say Orient, right? Orient, the watch company owned by Epson. Yeah, they make their own. It's an in-house movement as well. But it's like, at what point is it in the same facility? No, because it's done you know, somewhere else in China and they send the movement back to Japan where they put it in the case. So what's your in-house? Does it have to be in the same building in Switzerland? Does it have to be in the same building in, in Japan? It's so convoluted. And I guess I don't want to you know, get too like, emotional about this, but I'm, I'm with you. It does not matter. If it's a great movement, then use it. If it's not great and you need to modify it, gut it out and rebuild it, then do it. Exactly. And like, you know what? Some brands, they introduce a complication. And maybe they have no experience making that complication before, but someone else does. And say you're a brand, you want to make a chronograph. And you see, and you see like someone else making a great Zenith? chronograph and they're really well known for it. Zenith. Zenith. And, um, and you take it. There you go. Um, and then you make it, happens it your own all the time and then make it your own right or even like say you're a conglomerate um richmond does this all the time and that's why i'm gonna quote them say you're a conglomerate and you have a great movement maker in your conglomerate would you not want to save money as a business move and just make movements for everyone 
Yeah, because you're funneling revenue for one, and then you're gonna funnel revenue for another of, of your brands. It makes perfect exactly. sense. You're gonna too. you're gonna have all this R and D in one brand, anyways, right? Why not use it for others? It's the same thing for even cars, right? Volkswagen Group they have the the modular platforms for all their cars, mm. ranging from Volkswagen to Porsche. Yeah, right. It's it, one. It's a good business move. Two. You might end up having a superior product to what you can make yourself until the point where you can make your own product. Off topic here, weren't weren't the early like KNs? Didn't they have like Volkswagen engines in them? Probably some, Volkswagen some, made everything for everybody. Like Anyways, I mean, okay, back back to watches. It, it is exactly that thing, um, especially with Richemont Group. You, you bring a very good point. So Richemont Group is a luxury luxury brand group. Could you say they have like watches? Yeah, they have fashion they, houses. They have yeah, um, a bunch of basically what uh, Darius said a conglomerate. You should look them up if you haven't. They probably power and provide a lot of money to a lot of the brands that you love and you love buying from. If you listen to this podcast. Um, to, okay, so let me ask you. Actually, no. We we talked about so Darius brought up the, the chronograph, and then I kind of whispered, "Zenith, do you mind telling everyone the story? <laughs> Are you, could you share? Yeah. So, yeah, of course. So, um, the Rolex Daytona, you know, the heralded right now, arguably the flagship of the line." is powered right now by the 4130 movement, which is an in-house um, chronograph movement by Rolex for Rolex. Great movement, very, very robust. Previously, um, the Daytona was using a modified Zenith movement. And at that time, Rolex did not make a chronograph movement for itself. However, that is not to say that the Zenith movement is bad, nor incapable no they Rolex just, just needed the time yeah at that they time they needed the time to develop yeah they needed to develop the 4130 movement and it right now it is still one of the best chronograph movements on the planet it's super robust super reliable you know being produced by rolex means you get plus two minus two seconds reliability per day cased Mm-hmm. tested on every single watch not just one one out of a batch of 100 every single watch produced gets tested to the standard so i understand why rolex wants to do it and they make you know no qualms about it mm-hmm. for those listening rolex is is such a amazing brand you walk in the mall and you see it you drive past somewhere like oh I know that watch or you're if you're a geek like us and I don't know with movies and TV shows I can literally pick out like Sea Dwellers and like Sea Masters and like even like other watches Um, but you see it in movies and stuff like that that's one thing to 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 think about and then to dive into it's like whoa you see a brand right now you'll see in-house caliber you know three three five you know whatever whatever and other references at one time they did rely on other people because it was okay to. Zenith had an amazing chronograph movement that everyone borrowed, borrowed from. It wasn't just Rolex. This is Zenith at the time had a great um, chronograph uh, movement. And I think the, the differentiating factor is when you look at the Daytonas, I think the, the sub dial at 9 o'clock, if it's running like seconds, 
that is this Zenith movement. And then if, and then once they went in house, I think the sub seconds, like the moving, moving seconds went to the six o'clock. I think, I believe so. Or it's like the other way I around. Think, <laughs> I think it's one of the ways around, but you also get from in house, right? Because perhaps I think it is best to say where in-house falls apart for a lot of cases is when the value and like ultimate purchasing price becomes a factor. You know, when you have a brand that doesn't specialize in doing um, movements and they attempt to make a movement, maybe they don't have all the R&D necessary at the time to make it the best movement they could have made. Or maybe it's not as strong of a movement as like an off-the-shelf, where if they bought an off-the-shelf, they could allocate more resources to decoration, casing, yeah. R&D, where then they can make a better product at the end of the day. Uh, what are your thoughts on the micro-brands that purchase... <laughs> Oh man, I I'm not I'm really not a negative guy, but purchase um the, that Seiko move the Miyota movement or like they purchase a, a basic Etta, they decorate it, they give it a new rotor, a decorated rotor, and they end up charging what I believe is an unfair price or an arm and a leg. What is what is your take on that? somewhat predatory you know and it's just like like you you mentioned like the it's like an upcharge on a story and i think a lot of it is like very marketing potentially falsified history which is misleading to which which is misleading to a customer um it may be true that yeah, and it's like it may be misleading to a consumer when you have brands that say we have decades of experience or hundreds of years of experience in, you know, luxury watchmaking when simply you don't, you know. Um or you have um people or brands that say this is like a very YouTube thing to say, but like cutting out the middleman on a lot of brands now are going direct to boutique. There is no middleman already. So we, we, if you're set out, consumer, we set out to build the best watch in the world. We want to control our manufacturing. We wanted to cut out the middleman and give you all the savings. That's why our, our watches cost 60% less. Buy for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Buy for me. Use my discount code. I think a lot of it is trying to capitalize on people's wants and desires and enticing someone to make a decision that they might not be happy with. Look, it, in short, if I were to answer that, if, if you were to ask me is, at that point, what's what's worth decorating the Miyota movement? And then adding another three hundred dollars, like that, to me, just feels like a ripoff. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't care if you like encrusted the the rotor in twenty four karat gold. That does nothing, because the movement's still very irregular. And if they need to replace it, the watchmaker is just gonna be like, um, "Do you want to just buy a new one for fifteen dollars?" Yeah, and then you lose That's the like... rotor that you just paid three hundred dollars. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and it's like. 
you can find how much that movement costs online quite easily, right? <sighs> so finding how much that costs, and then you look at the differential in price between like cost to actual end product. Where does that money go to? At least like for well-established brands, you can say it goes into branding. It goes into, but it also does go into research into new products. Mm -hmm. You know, it does go into actual manufacturing, mm -hmm. um, especially a lot of hand manufacturing. That is where a lot of people find, that's where the prices really start jumping. I right? Mean, yeah, when, for sure. That's why yeah, I, I can justify the, the Pateks. I could justify the Alangenzons. Yeah, because you have someone who's trained hundreds and thousands of hours to sit there and engrave your balance wheel and balance cock for an Alang zone. And that is where the cost comes from most of the time. It is the hand finishing and hand working. Do you get that in a lot of recased Miotas? Maybe not. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm going to say no. Maybe not. I think it would be safe to just go on a limb and say no. Be careful, guys. I I think what Darius and I just really want you to be, what what you want to take away from from this part of the podcast is, be careful when you're buying watches. We and maybe that alludes to the whole Kith M4 thing. We get it. It looks great. Maybe they designed the dial really nice, or they have really nice hands, or or the marketing is really great. But when you dig deep into that watch, that you're like, hey, five hundred bucks or like seven hundred bucks, it's under a thousand dollars and it looks great. You gotta look at the movement. You gotta dig. If you don't see the word Miyota or you see Japanese like quality Japanese movement. You got to do your homework and you got to reach out to the brand or you got to do some of your own research and say, what does that allude to? Where is that movement being made? How much does that cost? And, and I get it. Sometimes the economics of things, it, it's not fair to. But you got to be careful when it comes to watches because we don't want you to invest $700 in a watch where the movement costs maybe $20 and they decorate it and they and then there's an upcharge of $300. We want you guys to walk away with a quality timepiece. And that's what we want to do. We want to educate you so you can make informed decisions. And maybe to, to, to you, it might not matter. But we want to at least give you that information to make sure if you're going to pay for the $300 upcharge, you know what you're getting. And within 8 to 10 years, if you need to get it service, your watchmaker is just going to be like, I'm just going to put in a new movement because it's going to be a lot cheaper. Yeah, and you know this is something that one of the uh, YouTubers I've followed and watched says. It's uh, Roman Scharf. He says, oh, yeah. yeah, buy what you like. That's what he says. And he tells you all the reasons why something is worth not something, something is worth A and something is worth B. And like, if ultimately you say, I still am not going to follow your advice, Roman Scharf, and buy what I want, he wants you to make that decision informed and know that why you're buying it is because you like it. You know, if that recased Miyota movement is calling your name because of that design that you really, really, really like, so be it, right? Yeah. My gosh. Um, so let me share one thing with you. Um, when it comes to the, the, the this whole movement thing, so I recently purchased a Hamilton Pilot Pioneer runs on this ETA modified movement that is 
Uh, I don't know if they come out and say in-house, but it does say the movement is H-50. That's the movement in there, which is basically a modified ETA 20. I don't remember the, the freaking number on there. Um, and they've just modified it. So then the power reserve ends up being 80 hours. I didn't buy it because I'm like, oh my gosh, it runs on the H50 movement. And I know that it's derived from an ETA. I could care less. Hey, hand-wound movement and you're giving me 80 hours power reserve. Great. That's cool. I bought it more in terms of the um, the, the heritage behind the W10 watches when they were, you know, issued for for RAF pilots, when they were, you know, issued to, to the military. That's why I bought it, right? If I were to get something based on movement, funny enough, it would be something like a Daytona, right? Because it's so coveted. Exactly. Or the perfect exactly. example, we, we spoke about this before, the GMT Master 2. Why do I buy that? A large part of it is due to that movement. It is an amazing movement. It is one of it's the so best, good. if not the top tier GMT movement that you can get out there for a pretty affordable price. MSRP, not, you know, aftermarket MSRP. It's a great price, great value. Great watch. And another point to go into like back into what off the shelf versus in-house especially for smaller in-houses, like truly in-houses, if you need to get that thing repaired and you need to find parts, it's going to be tough. And, right? We should we should dive sometime, into that. Sometimes a watchmaker might look at you like, you know what, man? I can't get parts for this. Oh within okay so you buy a watch it doesn't end there because you have to think about within i don't know the the regular sometimes they're saying five years sometimes they say eight to ten sometimes they're saying 15 years right you will need to get that serviced service is going to be cleaning it's going to be adding lubrication right and it might be something's wrong with your watch and thus you need a service before or after that time when you purchase movements that are off the shelf, like an ETA or ETA, when you see that stuff, because these are mass-produced movements, there can can be an abundance of parts. And so your watchmaker can order these said parts from there. When everything becomes in-house or it's, <laughs> you know, it's crazy, but if they're handmade, you know, I know Patek used to have like handmade things handmade screws handmade everything that's where the servicing gets hard because this oh yeah these are not things your watchmaker can just order from a catalog these are now things that okay are they an authorized rolex service center are they an authorized xyz can they get the part how long are you waiting to get the part <laughs> right like i i know some people that tried have tried to uh service like Richard Mills. Oh my god. God, that takes a long time. Because maybe they just don't have that part. <laughs> um, there's just so few of them. Or, so maybe it, it becomes difficult. It takes a lot of time to make that part. It just takes a lot of time to make that part. And then the, there becomes a lot of like a lot of difficulty. Part of the, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into like my experience with with AP here again, 
where say you have like a grand comp, you know, it's essentially bespoke. If you ever need to service that grand comp, they actually take that particular grand complication and bring it to the watchmaker that assembled it and they fix it because they are familiar with the thing. So they can remake parts of it, you know? But if they are not around or like they're not with the brand for whatever reason, which I highly doubt, good luck getting that serviced. (laughs) Or if you're a micro brand with the in-house, ugh. Again, it's gonna be tough. Like they they might have to make that part again. Yeah, I I think what Darius is alluding to is not like the micro brands that you you see. There are actually a lot of luxury micro brands that you may not know of that are doing amazing things. I can't name one for my life right now. It's a little late right now, but um, yeah, it's when you start to go beyond the that, that. Okay, that's another thing too. Is I don't think a lot of people, especially our age, that just get into watches, that they consider what happens after you buy the watch. <laughs> after you enjoy it for a year or two. And then you're kind of like, oh, I should get it service. You bring it to your AD. Here's your bill. Oh my gosh, I, should, I could buy a new watch with this. That is... I know. <laughs> or or you, they go like, oh yeah, your watch is going to be back in like eight months. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah don't or a think, year don't think this is like the genius bar where you go up to your dealer or you go up to your ad and you're like uh i have an appointment with you here's my watch no thank you we're gonna write down what's gonna happen we'll we'll do all these things um you know if parts are changed we'll let you know uh i think they keep the parts now right most of the ad's or they some them, yeah, most some. most ad's yeah yeah, so you know they they could do that, and then there's your watch. But that doesn't happen on the day. That doesn't happen within the hour or two hours you are in the store. No, that could take four months, eight months, like you said, even up to a yeah. year. That is what happens when you start getting into this craziness called the watch hobby or watch yeah. industry. I've I've had a friend try to service a fp journe oh gorgeous um, gorgeous gorgeous watch fp journe perpetual calendar oh my gosh yeah i know the 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 date actually got stuck in between like two days which is like incredible i believe the estimated wait time for like completed work was one and a half years (laughs) great beautiful watch like gorgeous yeah but it was just unfortunate, and I think like something got caught. Mm-hmm. But you know, it just hard to service these things. Very hard. It's a great watch, but should anything ever go wrong, uh, it might take a while. They will do it. it might take a while. And I... if it's like uh, a smaller brand, I think Ming is also sometimes in house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's the. I don't like the case shape, but I think they do inter- interesting dials. They do really super interesting dials. Yeah, those guys too. Uh, I think that's what kind of scares me <laughs> sometimes. Uh, most of the watches I have don't have, you know, complications. Uh, I mean, some people even can say running seconds is, is like a complication. Um, but I think that's why I go like time only. 
because I get scared. And if I were to ever have a triple perpetual calendar with the moon phase, I'm going to hate the day that something happens. And I'm just like, well, got to wait a year, got to wait two years. It would be terrible. Where time only is a little easier, I, I think. Time only is super, super easy. There is, that is why I stick with a lot of sports watches. Very robust. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't say I have something like formally as, as a dress watch. I think you, you had a comment about that before, about dress watches. What was it? What was it again? I don't live a life where dress watches are a thing for me. <laughs> so I'm not going to get a dress watch. This was when we were talking about five watches for rest of your life top five watches oh, yeah. right oh, yeah, yeah like cover everything yeah that, so. that's a that's a previous podcast do check that out i think it was number two it's number two or number three one of those i think it was number two or number three yeah. or you can watch all you can I listen have, to all of them that'd be amazing <laughs> and then find and then you tell us in the comments below yeah. um <laughs> that's a challenge that that's not a challenge but that's a game i want to revisit because sometimes answers change Oh no, definitely. I, I but we'll revisit that probably. You know, in twenty twenty one, hoping everything you know goes Hopefully. a little better than the twenty 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 has been. I I don't want to go on this tangent, but twenty twenty has been rough for the world. Super, not just me for the world, for the whole planet. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. Uh, okay, back to we 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 spoke about vertically integration. We spoke about in-house movements and everything. Um, I get this question a lot actually, um, and I want to address it in terms of fashion. So a lot of the times, um, what's crazy is you have what's called a vertically integrated apparel manufacturer, and then there are, there are some in Canada. You and I both know who they are, um, and then there are, you know a bunch around the world. What that means, and if you're someone that wants to start a brand or just understand the economics and what happens behind the scenes, vertically integrated means from start to finish, you will work with them where they will have fabric or they will source fabric. They will do the cutting. They will do the sewing. They'll do the washing. They could do the washing. Sorry. They could do the washing, you know, any sort of specialty stuff. They'll do the QA, QC. They'll pick and pack. They'll ship it out. All happens in one place. There's another element to the fashion industry, and if you own a brand, and that's called CMT. So what happens, let's say you get a pattern made separately. You get grading done separately. You find fabric on your own separately. You then bring all those tools, right, all those ingredients over to a what's called a CMT factory. So CMT just means cut, make, trim. That is all they do. They don't do anything else. Which means once you bring that stuff, you bring your pattern, you bring your grading, you bring you know all you know your, your tech pack with all the sewing. That's another thing too. Um, you were in the industry before. We need tech packs to understand what needs to be made. Ninety percent tech packs are the blueprint yes. of everything. Thank you, thank you. Uh, tech packs. Ninety percent of the of the tech packs that we we receive are garbage. They tell us nothing. There are so many people on Instagram, Facebook, and now TikTok showing people how to make tech packs, and it is terrible. If I had time in my life, maybe I would actually, you know, create that content and show you guys how to create a real tech pack. But 
until then, I'm sorry. You guys got to somehow learn it. There's a great software out there. We're not sponsored by them. We have zero sponsors on the podcast. Um, Tech Packer. They are a company out of Brooklyn. Uh, and it's a tech company that they can help. So reach out to those and, and kind of learn about how to create a real tech pack. Besides the point, a cut make trim is you bring all the ingredients over and they assemble it. And then from there, you might have to do the finishing or they'll do the finishing. And then you'll, you know, you'll fold it up and you'll packaging up, uh, pack, package it up into like poly bags or like recyclable mailers, stuff like that. So there's, there's really a difference between the two, and maybe in the future we can kind of dive into it with a more fashion-focused podcast. But that's just one thing to keep in mind. In-house, I think a lot of the times when you're talking about the brands that are now watch brands, the brands that make everything, there's a level of quality control where every step of the way, they know what's happening. They know it's all checked out. My team's done it. Great. Same with vertical apparel manufacturing happens all in one roof where the chances of things, you know, not going wrong are slim and seeing defective garments in your, you know, final shipment are significantly less slash slimmer than if you were to go into a CMT rep, cut make trim with watches, then if you go into, you know, purchasing purchasing a watch with an in-house with a, you know, off the shelf movement. Because from the brand perspective of a watch is, I didn't build the movement. I don't know what stages it's gone through, right? So, you know, get it serviced and we'll fix it. Cut make trim is the same way. You could want, you know, your total order to be 100 units of something. Within that 100, I mean, tolerance is there for a reason. But you might not even walk away with 80 good garments, and that's where with with apparel, that's a little tricky. If you go full service, they will pick up your shit for you. Cut, make, trim. They do everything for you. You're just lo- like, you'll just have to bite the bullet and lose the 20 garments. That's just, yeah. You're done. That is done. Um, that's just a little parallel. I, I thought that might be important for people listening to this about what in-house is um, with watches in houses with uh, or vertically integration with apparel manufacturing. I want to kind of sum up that topic that we just had about the movements um, in house versus off the shelf. Darius, do you care? I do not care. Okay. Um, let's see what else I can have <laughs> regarding this. What well, is your I preference? Do not care what is your preference? I would say. My, what is your preference? My preference is in house. Um, just because, like. The watches that I, I can't say I buy because I don't buy it regularly, but watches I would like to buy, um, mostly do in-house, you know. Um, That's just how they are. And they're at, they have enough resources to make sure that their in-house is super, super good. And that's what they're known for anyways. Do you care? And does it matter to your purchasing decisions? Um, at the time we're recording this, do I care in-house or off the shelf? I don't. Um, my preference is if that is a great movement for that watch. Okay. And if the price justifies, sorry, based on research, if the price justifies it, then I'll buy it. Um, the whole thing is too convoluted right now with in-house because you have brands out there that used to use all these suppliers 
And then as that watch brand grows, they start to buy out their suppliers. And when they buy out their suppliers, I think you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) They buy out their suppliers, and then now they can claim this in-house movement thing. That I'm just kind of like over here, just like, I don't know. It's, It's a little... That's where it gets muddy for me. And then especially when you get into modified ETA, it's like... Uh, what or like they claim modified being like what are who who is like regulating these terms to make yeah, what sure. does modified mean <laughs> all right uh, i mean so so that's my preference really uh I, I, there there's no preference um if it gets the job done and it's great for that task then amazing i would not want a eta gmt movement in my rolex gmt master two i want the Rolex movement. But if we're talking, you know, time only, if the ETA gets the job done and the price is significantly less, like at $1,500 or $2,000, I will pull the trigger, right? I think like Oris's mainly are ETAs. They are. And they're in that price you know range. Who else is... You know, if uh, someone wants to give me a RM1103 <laughs> with a... APRP movement, not a Richard Mill manufacturer movement. I will take one to play around. Thank you, Richard or, or Mill, you just want to one. play around with? Huh? <laughs> I just want one. Uh, in your opinion, you, you brought up one person as well. If people want to learn more about watches, what are some of the channels or like people you would kind of uh, you know steer them to? I've been watching a lot of Roman Scharf because he has really, really good information. And he's very off the cuff, very similar to us, where it's just, you know, boom, 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 no scripting, just this is what's going on. And it's very off the shelf. And he has the resources and the and the ability to play with enough watches where he gets to have a real experience instead of just talking off the dome and off articles. You know, he gets to say, like, yeah, this is, uh, here is this watch that I'm talking about, like here is the other watch I'm talking about. I don't have it in his hands. Okay. I think one video I just watched recently, um, because I'm an AP nerd, he was comparing sizes of APs and he actually had, you know, like 37, 38, 39, 40, 41. Yeah. <laughs> so he had it all there and he can just put it on his wrist and you can see it. Mm. That, 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 um, that's where, really good. Whereas like otherwise it's hard, you know. So if that's who you would, recommend what what is what are his handles for those listening i think it's just roman sharf um s roman and then s h a r f nice who do you go to for fashion do you watch anything fashion related i don't really watch anything fashion related anymore not really i used to watch a lot of sanjeev or uh i forgot what it's called his uh old his old handle was something else but no clue what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a British guy. Used to be very into like YSL. I used to be very into YSL. That's why I used to watch him. Mm. Um, who else is good? Um, there's this guy in Japan. Is it geared towards gear? It's not geared towards gear. He covered uh, a bunch of fragment stuff before. Really? Is it English? Is it? Is it, or does he speak Japanese in the in the videos? He's an. Eng- he he speaks English. I don't I remember got, anymore. I got, z- I got zero clue. No idea who it is. 
I like um off YouTube for fashion. I like this is Antoine. He's a guy. Oh yeah, this is Antoine's good. He's, he's funny. He's a guy in the UK. I, I I think he has like a good sense of humor. It's light, this is, but yes, yeah, it's Yeah, that that guy's amazing. I I love Antoine. Hey, if we could tag him, and if people can share this to him somehow, that'd be amazing. Okay, and if we can get Antoine on this podcast to speak with us. Right, in terms of fashion. And maybe we can pick a few watches for him. I got a few watches in mind for him. I think I think I know what he, he's into. I got I got a few for him. Yeah. If if we can get Antoine on this podcast, amazing. I, I think he does really cool stuff. Uh, in terms of uh, who else with fashion? I watch a lot of Complex. Really? Yeah. I even listen to their podcast as well. Not as great as... Oh, sorry. Okay, as we're kind of steering away, did you see Joe Rogan and Kanye West have finally done the podcast? Yes. I haven't listened to it yet. Don't spoil it for me. I have not listened I to need it. To, I, I haven't listened to it yet, but like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm excited too because, yeah, I'm ex- I want to see how that dynamic goes. Um, Joe Rogan, of course, nothing watch related, nothing fashion related uh there's a guy i think he's out in san francisco called keezy keezy tv he's a big evisu he's a big babesta fan um i just like his energy i like his authenticity um even though how he carries his style is not how how i dress uh, i think he's very uh, informed within fashion and culture and can provide a lot he, Right. So when you think of the, the Avisu guy, right, he's kind of got like the snapback and like, you know, a boxy tee and like those Avisu jeans. jeans. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's what he does. I mean, hey, I like his energy and everything. So that's another cool guy. In terms of watches, ooh, I love me some watch finder. I love me, I love that watch. I finder love stuff. me some watch oh finder. Oh, my God. It is like videography porn it is watch porn to its to its fullest. Well shot, well lit. Great narration. Uh, great storytelling. Great storytelling. Uh, little, did you see, he, he made a video where he made like a little jab at the Rolex Submariner being 40, uh, 41. Like made like the slightest comment. I was just like, wonderful. I heard Damn. they're owned by the, don't quote me on this. I heard they're owned by the Richemont Group. I think you're right. It's either Richmond or LVMH. Someone bought them out. Um, but now they have like infinite money to play with. Yeah. Infinite watches to play with. Yes. Ooh. Speaking of like good resources, the Mr. Porter journal. Mr. Porter journal. Yeah. You, you brought that to my attention before as well. Mr. Porter journal. Even though they're trying to sell you on everything in the article, they write about that stuff so well. Oh my God. Are they also owned by someone else? Um, Richmond group. And, uh, Nukes not a porter. Oh my god, Richmond Group is crazy. Um, yeah, porters for sure. I think a really great insight. Do your research, please. Don't just trust one of these things. I also really like Bark and Jack. I like Bark and Jack. Very. I like how he's, he's humble. He is humble. He's honest. It doesn't feel like he's trying to sell me anything. It feels like he's trying to tell it to me how it is. I appreciate that. Who did you, who did you, let me ask, who did you watch when you first got into this hobby? 
Who did I watch when I first got into this hobby? Oh, and also, there was a viewer that reached out to me. Um, actually, a few people have asked me. Uh, I know Julian did last week, too. But on the DMs is, they want to know how many watches you own and what's in your collection. But let, let's let's answer the first one first. What, what did you watch or what did you consume when you first got into the watch hobby? When I first got into it, I had thought, I had watched... I watched a lot of Watchfinder before. Um, who else did I watch? Basically, I would just search like Rolex Submariner right on YouTube, and then I'll just search everything about it. Um, so I did like a lot of Watchbox. Um, yeah, Watchbox did Watchfinder. Watchbox is really good. And then that guy is super knowledgeable. Some... I don't know his name, but that yeah. guy, he knows a lot of shit. He knows everything. Um. Teddy Baldessara, I've watched Baldessara, Baldessara. Yeah, I've watched before, but I don't think his niche really suits me. Um, I I appreciate like, um, what he does and in his audience, but it's just not for me. Just because I'm a hype man and I like flashy new expensive things. Um, he's very he's but, very, he's still very classic within the like when I think yeah, of a watch person, classic. I think of Teddy Baldessara. That is who I think of. I. And I also think of like Urban Gentry, and then I stopped watching him. <laughs> I used to watch him too. Yo, when I was at the come up, that's who we got. Like that's who was there. It was like yeah. the the Urban Gentry. It was like the early stages of Teddy Baltasar. Um, yeah, one one of them. I don't know if I should name. Within the watch world, it's a little controversial now to name this person because they ended up. Um, Dealing with the transaction very shadily, shadily is it, if that's a word, and then actually sent in a fake watch to to one of the customers. I used to oh, watch yeah. a lot of Horology House because it yeah. was also good cinematography. That cinematography will get you. <laughs> yeah, it gets me. I, I know for sure. But yeah, TGV. I I used to watch um, a little more honest, and then uh, and eventually, I think the tone. It wasn't really like my thing. Again, he's. I think he's. He does great things, and he has his crowd, and he has his people. Um, but I started to steer more into like the the Bark and Jacks, and I also did one. One thing I like about the Teddy Star is when he did the movement, like series, when he when he went into like the movement office, you know, the fashion brand. Oh yeah. And he was just, like mm -hmm. asking him like the realest questions, just like grilling yeah, him. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That was amazing. Um, I'm so happy you did that. Yeah, but yeah, like those are resources. I, I'm hoping that, I, and I'm, I'm saying this so then, if you're interested in watches, that you can find someone uh, on YouTube um, that can kind of guide you in that direction and start to get you to think about it. Because I know watches sometimes can be like, holy, like this is a lot of money. But if you're collecting sneakers, so is that. So if you could hold off yeah. for a year, I think you could get yourself an OP. Just my, I'm not saying you're yeah, gonna get Tiffany you know, Blue, but I'm saying you could get an OP. <laughs> you can get something. You can get something. Yeah, I see. I I see you kids with that five pairs of off whites. That's a date just right there. Oh my gosh! Hey, did you see um, off white Jordan one? Collaborate? No, sorry, not Jordan one. Off white Jordan collaboration. Yes, the clothing. I don't like it. It's not me. I like the bomber jacket. That's it. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. That's actually one of the the key the, the pieces that I actually clicked into, and I was like, oh, let me look at this. But the model, the I don't know. It could be the photography. Could could be the model. The hoodie didn't look that great. The shorts didn't look that great. It's just the bomber jacket. Just that one thing. Before we close off, is Off White still present in twenty twenty? Are they still relevant? I, I know. I know what we can close off on. I think I got it. Off-white G-Wagon? Whack. Oh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but can you answer that? Is off-white, and I'm not saying Virgil Abloh, is off-white still relevant in 2020? Moving into 2021. Still, re- still relevant. Really? Why? I don't... I'm not in that space. Um, Because he got a G-Wagon. <laughs> yeah, but... That that's a pretty big deal, you know. It is a big deal. Don't get me wrong. Great job landing that collaboration. I mean, same goes with with uh, ALD Porsche and then BMW, you know, uh, Kith and then Off White Mercedes. But how? I think it will be prevalent as long as strong graphics are a thing. As long as strong graphics are a thing, Off White will be a thing. Wow. I don't know, man. When I when I see people wear off white with like the huge logos, it's kind of like I get that I'm making a face. I know no one can see this. Like it's just like he's making a disgusted face. I don't know, man. It just maybe it's not just not my wave, but I'm just like that shit feels. I look. I don't want to put anyone down. To me, my opinion, it's just like that shit looks corny, bro. I also don't think it looks great, but it is loud. It is expensive. Need I say more? You know what I think is a bigger flex to me? If you're wearing Fear of God or like you wear Essentials, I'm like, damn, you could throw down that much on a hoodie. It's crazy. Fear of God stuff is... Pardon? Oh, like actual Fear of God stuff. Uh, well, essentials. I th- well, it it is kind of more uh, democratic, but to me, that's still a lot for a hoodie. Like when I go on Essence and I look at the price, I'm like, oh, geez, I, I don't think I could do that. Was it like two hundred bucks? Yeah, man. I, I get an ALDs in that range. I I don't. I can't afford that stuff. Um, where else? Sorry, what was it going to? Fear of God. Yeah, that stuff is hella. Expensive, but I love what Jerry's Super doing expensive. now. Have you been following what what's Jerry what Jerry's doing now? Yeah, I think it looks better. I think it's it as a better defined aesthetic. It gave me a Visvum vibe. I like it. It's like an America. Uh, what's funny is Visvum takes from Americana, but Jerry is like very modern Americana and like American aesthetics. Where I'm just like, oh shit, like this is nice. Now would I pay that much? No. I would not. Hell no. It's crazy. And he also did that collaboration with uh, Z- M- R- I can't pronounce it. Can't pronounce it. Ermenegildo Ermen- Zenya. <laughs> okay, guys. Darius is the king of pronunciations. I just suck. Ermenegildo er- Zenya. There you go. There you go. Um, hey, man. I, sick. So sick. I I loved that we we were able to do this. 
uh, and kind of you know reconnect after after that you know Thanksgiving, and then we had that that one week off. Uh, was there anything else that you want to talk about? G wagon off white still whack. Yeah, uh, not my thing. I'm sure there are a bunch of you that love it and that you can afford it. I drive a Subaru Impreza touring model. That's it. <laughs> okay. I would totally drive the G wagon still. No, I like the G wagon. Don't get me wrong. G63 AMG. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Off white edition? No. <laughs> yeah, I I've been on that since I think like I, I see I, I sound like that guy now that's like oh before it was cool. Um, oh nine saw it in person, fell in love with it. That one day hopefully will be will be in the garage. If I ever own a house that has a garage, you know. One day. One day that'd be amazing. Was there anything that you wanted to? Anything else you wanted to talk about tonight? We're good. We are good. Got it. Brings this episode to a close, sir. Episode 7, all wrapped up. Thanks so much for uh, for everyone that's listening. I hope you took some you know great content out of this. Uh, if anything, Darius, plug your handle. D-A-R-I-G. Reach out to him if you have any questions about anything fashion or watch-related. Uh, he is your guy, and he can probably understand and know what you want before you even know it. Um, again, this handle is at springs.thread. The website is www.springsandthread.com. Please, please, please uh, follow us on Spotify. If you can please like us. And uh, I think, is there also a follow on Apple Podcasts? Listen to those podcasts. Yeah. Please do that, and then on Google Podcasts as well, and anywhere that you consume podcasts. Thank you so much. Episode 7 all wrapped up. Take care, everyone. Good night. Good night. Or good morning if you're listening to this in the morning. Whatever. Thank you. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) See you guys.